1: Good morning. morning. Can you all see me? Sorry about that, but (laughs) some things just have to be endured. Uh, I can see you too, so that's really good. I can see a a room full of people who love Jesus, a room full of people who enjoy worshipping him in spirit and truth, a room full of people who know they've been called with a purpose. Yes, yes, right. Not just called to be saved, but called to serve. Yes, right. To serve God, not in our own plans, our own schemes, our own strategies, but to serve God in His eternal purpose. Right. And God has an eternal purpose. Yes, right. Not just a purpose for you individually, although I believe that is true. He has something unique for you, He has something very personal for you to serve him in, but for us corporately, as Christ's body in this place, there's a purpose for us being here. There's a purpose for us being in this world. This isn't the waiting room until the bus to glory comes. This is where we fulfill the purpose of God's calling on our lives. I'd like to read from the Word of God if you have your Bible, which I'm sure you will have. Uh, would you turn with me, please, to the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel? Jesus has been baptized. And as he was being baptized, the heavens were open. And the Spirit of God in bodily form, like a dove, descended upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately after, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And there he overcame the temptations of the evil one. And then our story this morning begins in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. As he launches his ministry in Nazareth, he sets the calling of God on his life firmly in prophetic expectation. You'll remember when you read the Bible, you discover as you read the New Testament that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the days of Christ. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you search the scriptures For in them you believe that you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify of me. He told them on the Emmaus Road, he shared with them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The whole Old Testament, indeed the whole Bible, is about Jesus. If you ever want to wonder, what is the theme of the Bible? It's Jesus Who's the focus of the Bible? That's Jesus. What's the Bible all about? Jesus. If you ever have a hard time reading the Bible, if you're never quite sure where to go, wherever you go, go with this determination. When I read the Scriptures today, I'm going to meet with Jesus. And you will, if that's your expectation and your desire. You'll meet with Jesus. For all the prophets and all the law and all the Psalms have spoken of him and foretold his coming, his ministry, his victory, and his worldwide kingdom. The passage that Jesus read from is in our Bible, Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm sure that there's a lot more in that chapter than what Jesus quoted here. Of course there is. He just uses the opening couple of verses. But if we look at those in context, it gives us a remarkable insight into what Jesus came to do. I know he came to seek and save that which is lost. How fantastic. He came to bring out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, hallelujah. He came to lift us out of the horrible pit and the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. Oh, it can't get better than that, can it? Oh, yes, it can. He didn't just rescue you from sin. He brought you into his kingdom. And being in his kingdom means that you are a highly privileged people, that you are by the power of the Holy Spirit, a gifted people, and because of the calling of God on your life, you have an important part to play in the salvation of our world. You would never think it, would you? When we look at our lives and what we were to what I'm claiming we are now, what a difference. What a remarkable turnaround has happened since Jesus called us. Marvelous. Wonderful. I'd like us to turn to Isaiah 51 and see what Jesus had in mind when he was reading Uh, 61. We get the words of Jesus, but I want to read on a little further than that. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. This, in many ways, sums up very briefly... The whole purpose of God for the world in which you and I live. And not only the purpose of God, but the purpose to which he has called us. We are to be participators with him. One of the amazing things about the Lord Jesus is we know his ability. We know his power. We know what he can do. But he invites us to work with him. That's a very one-sided partnership. It's the only unequal yoke that we're allowed to take on us. That you and I can actually work with Christ to fulfill the purposes of God. We're thinking about restoration today and one of the things we need to know Is that God never does anything but that He chooses people to achieve it? He doesn't need us. He was getting on fine before we turned up. But it's His grace, you see, that enables us to be workers together with God. But He first works on us, of course. And I love this little passage that we read here about what Jesus comes to do under the anointing of God. It says he's come to give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of. A spirit of despair. Whenever you read in the scriptures this little word, instead of, if it's taking us from one place to a better place, it's always talking about restoration. We have come into life instead of death. We have come into joy instead of sorrow. And the first step of restoration that God does with with his mind and his eye on the whole universe, the first act is on your life and mine. He restores my soul. He's the restorer of the human condition. He's the restorer of the human heart. He's the restorer of the human spirit. When you got saved, it was the first step... In a cosmic restoration, he began with you. And it seems to me, in these promises that are made here, that the whole idea of restoration is to the whole man, the whole woman. He comes to give you a crown of beauty. Now, the crown, of course, relates to your head. And the first thing that Jesus comes, to do is to help you think differently. You see, as good evangelical Christians, as good charismatic Christians, we talk a lot about the heart and the spirit. And rightly so. Those are very important issues. But you know, the New Testament has much to say about your mind as it does to your heart and spirit. In fact, the word repentance in its basic meaning means change your mind. And for so many Christians, their problem isn't great sins that they commit, it's wrong thoughts that they embrace. You see, the first thing we've got to change our mind about is us. I'm not the cool dude I thought I was. (laughs) You know, I'm not the chief honcho I lived my life around. My life was a mess before I met with Jesus. I thought I was having a good time. I thought I was doing what I wanted to do, and then I discovered I'd been a puppet of the devil. I had to change my mind. I had to change my mind about Jesus for until the day I was born I only knew his name as a curse word. I had to change my mind about Jesus because I discovered he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That was a big mind shift. But I found from the day that I came to know Christ until today, my mind is still being changed. Many of us have been on a long pilgrimage, and we've discovered over the years how once things that we thought were were set in stone were actually fluff, had no substance at all. We had to relearn, retrain our mind to work along different lines. To begin to believe the word of God. To begin to believe the prophetic word that came over us from time to time. We had to change our mind. And what Jesus does, he comes to set us on the course of a mind change. And it says that he gives us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And ashes represent our guilt. When people in the Old Testament found themselves guilty of something, they would throw dust and ashes on their head as, as a mark of their recognition of their own failure. So if you were low and if you were depressed and if you felt, i would made such a mess of it and, or I'd sinned in such an awful way, I'd throw these dust and these ashes on my head and Jesus said, I've come to give you something different to that. And the great thing tells me this, is this, that you don't have to live under guilt anymore. You know, if it had said, if Jesus had said, I've come to those, you know, with with dust and ashes on their head, and I'm going to give them a good shampoo. (laughs) That would have been quite nice, wouldn't it? You know, can you imagine that? Well, I can't anymore, but you know... (laughs) If he'd come with a head and shoulders. I don't get head and shoulders anymore. I just buy shoulders these days. <laughs> Sad thing is it, lose your hair and keep your dandruff. How awful is that? <laughs> but, if, but if Jesus, if Jesus said, i just come and give you a good and made you completely clean and lightheaded and just fantastic, that would be wonderful. But he didn't say that. So I'll come to give you something instead. I'm going to take away the ashes, I'm going to take away the dirt, I'm going to take away the dust, and I'm going to give you a crown of beauty. I'm going to minister to the way you think. And from now on, you're not going to think like dust and ashes. From now on, you're going to think like a king. From now on, you're going to think kingdom thoughts. From now on, your mind will be under my control. You see... Everyone outside of Christ thinks wrongly. The cleverest people, the most profound philosopher, the highest mathematician outside of Christ does not think correctly. Isaiah in another place says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. He doesn't say, let the unrighteous man forsake his unrighteous thoughts. You've got to forsake them all. You've got to learn to think utterly differently. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says, I'm going to insist on this, that you no longer live in the futility of your thinking as the Gentiles do. You and I, have the mind of Christ. We know how to think right. And it's very important because how a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We've got to start thinking right things about ourselves. Whoever it was who's had a label stuck on them, you don't have to think about that label. You've got to think about who you are in Christ. Not who you are in the eyes of others. I, um, I lost my father in the, in the Second World War. Um, he was in the Air Force. He died when I was three weeks old. My mother was left with two children. But, but I had a great upbringing. And because I never knew him, I never missed him so it's never been a problem to me, except in one area. When you had the standoff in the school playground with the local bully, and, and, and it, you'd stretch it out as long as you could in case, you know, with a bit of luck, the bell would go before you had punched anything, but he'd be over there and I'd be over here and, and he would say, come on, and I'd Come on then. And he'd go, oh yeah. And I go, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that went on for a while. And there came the ultimate deterrent. He would say, my dad could beat your dad. I had no reply for that. I could have said, my mum will beat your dad. And if you knew my mum, you'd believe it. <laughs> I bear the marks. Um, but I could never do that. I always felt let down. I didn't have this kind of identity. I didn't have that ability. When I got saved, when I was 17, I got saved in an open-air meeting in South London. And uh, I started to read the, the Bible. I loved the Bible. I loved reading it. I didn't understand it all, but I just loved reading it. And uh, I came across this verse that God has sent his spirit into my heart, crying, Abba, Father. And from that moment on, I've just known this. My dad can be Everyone. what have I got to worry about? (laughs) Satan comes with his temptations. Satan comes with his accusations. Satan comes sometimes with his violence. And we just say, my dad can beat you. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. He, Because we think differently now. We know who we are. We know what we've got. Brothers and sisters, don't Believe those who disbelieve the Bible. This is the word of God. It will speak to you, it will lead you, it will encourage you, it will build you up, it will make you strong, it will cause you to become spiritual, and it will make you to be an overcomer in the name of Jesus. His word is truth. But then he doesn't stop there. (coughs) He says, I've come to give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. Mourning, of course, speaks about our grief, about things we've lost or things we will never have. We start to grieve inside. We feel a sorrow for ourselves inside of us. And he says, I've come To give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. (coughs) He takes the sorrow away. He takes that perpetual leaning towards sadness out of your heart. Do you know by nature we are happy people? When God called Abraham, he changed his name from Abraham to Abraham. When he wanted to use Jacob as the father of a nation, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But in between Abraham and Jacob, there's a young man called Isaac, son of Abraham, father of Jacob, Isaac. And God didn't change his name. God didn't change his name because God had already chosen his name and the name he chose for Isaac literally means he laughs I reckon that's a great description of a covenant people it's wonderful to laugh it's great to laugh sometimes it's good to laugh at your problems It's good to laugh at the pressure you're under. How can you do that? Because there is one with me who has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. What should I fear? What men can do for me? I am called to be a winner in this world. And therefore, whatever comes against me, God is with me to overcome it. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Ha ha. (laughs) We're God's happy people. We're not inclined to misery. See, I, I, I knew some people, because you don't know people like this, but I've been around a bit, and I've met people like this. I've met Christians who are actually quite miserable. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I, mean, it is the truth. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to you. It's the truth. I know you're finding it very difficult to receive that. I remember the first man I worked with in ministry down in the West Country. And uh, he said to me one day, he said, I always know when I'm in the will of God. And I thought, well, this is a lesson I need to learn. I said, fantastic. I said, well, tell me, how do you know when you're in the will of God? He says, it's when I am doing what I don't want to do. Now this is an old, mature brother, and I'm 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 the new kid on the block, and I'm thinking, that's rubbish. <laughs> I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking it. It's rubbish, because it reminded me when I was back in the Baptist church where I first got saved, and I, I'm so grateful and thankful for them, you know, and I praise God for their input into my life. But they, there was some flaky stuff there as well. I have to admit. And and you talk with the young people sometimes, and they'd say things like. Um, I want, to, I want to serve God. he say, amen, yeah, I want to serve God too. I'd, I'd go anywhere for God. And someone would say, well, I'd go anywhere for God. And someone else was say, well, I'd go anywhere except Africa. And someone would say, shh, don't say that. That's where he'll send you. <laughs> and you thought, know, there's God like some Dickensian stepfather, you know. <laughs> We'll send you off, my boy. No, <laughs> David said, "I delight to do your will." Yes. So he takes away that negativity. He takes away that sorrow and sadness, and he anoints you. It's an anointing, the oil of joy. Amen. It's just like the one Jesus had. Or they call his well, the, the the oil of rejoicing. Yeah. Same thing. You've got the Jesus anointing of happiness. I think, you know, Jesus told the best jokes. I think it was fun to be around Jesus. But then he says, he'll take the spirit of despair. That's, That's that underlying and continuous feeling of gloominess. That's in people's hearts and give you a garment of praise instead. I, um, I've determined to, if I can find out how to do it, to defriend a lot of people on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know how to do it, but someone will help me, I'm sure. Um, I, I got a lot of friends. In, all over the world, just just so it's a great way of keeping in touch with people. But there's been so much negativity. Yeah, right. These are Christian people. Yeah. You know, the world's going to end because of Brexit. Yeah. There'll be a third world war because of Trump. Yeah. Although most of my American friends were voting for him with a passion, so I don't know about them either. I think I'll have to get rid of those too. (laughs) It's everybody's life is is negative and there's everything out there to make you negative. But we're not, we're a positive people. We rejoice, we praise in every situation and in all circumstances. See, there's, there's... God did promise in the Old Testament that he would bring judgments on his people from time to time because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion. And he would say, listen, you carry on like that, and you're going to go into captivity. Well, that's, that's pretty severe. Or he'd say, I'm going to send a famine or a drought or wild animals. I think that's awful. But he'd always make this little proviso. He'd say things like, but there will be Survivors. Be survivors <clears throat> in the New Testament. You don't find the word survivors, it's not, it's not a New Testament concept. We have something altogether different. Yes. They're called overcomers. Yes. Now, of course, if you're an overcomer, it means there's something out there that needs to be overcome. Yes. But you can all be overcomers that's what we're called to be overcomers in the gloom. In the sadness, in the desperation, in the fear that grips the hearts of men. You and I are overcomers and we can praise God in the midst of the most adverse circumstance because He's renewing us and restoring us to the image of His Son. You and I are being changed from one degree of glory to another. We think differently We feel differently. We act differently because we're different. We're not just religious people with a few biblical texts stuck on us like Elastoplast over the nasty bits. We're a new creation, the old is gone. All of it, the new, has come. But the, the scripture doesn't, doesn't end there. It says these who have been restored in their thinking, restored in their emotions, restored in their actions and their attitudes. He said they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord For the display of his splendor. Look at the picture. Here's someone who's been restored in his mind, in his emotions, in his attitudes. And here's someone who's been restored in his mind, his emotions, his attitudes. And here's a whole company who've been restored the same way. And God brings them together. God plants them just in the same way as he planted a garden in Eden. Amen. And he said they'll be called the planting of the Lord. Yes. It's a strange way of describing people, really. You might better think of them as the settlers of the Lord or the gathered of the Lord. But this word planting of the Lord is used right through Scripture. <clears throat> it has a very definite meaning. It means we've been brought together by God himself. See, I don't believe anyone is a member of this church by accident, nor yet by convenience. I believe it's a planting of the Lord. And they're oaks of righteousness. These are tough, unbendable people. These are people who've taken root downwards and are bearing fruit upwards. These are people who stand close together like trees in a forest. These are people whose splendor displays the goodness and the glory of God. You see, the one thing that is so important for you and me as believers is that we need one another. There's no room for the one-man band. There's no room for the Lone Ranger. It's just us. It's a plurality. It's people brought together. When Moses was leading the people of God out of Egypt, he took them through the wilderness, and, and, and as they're crossing the sea, he bursts into song. Uh, and in part of that song was, you will bring them in and plant them on your holy mountain, That was his understanding of God's purpose. Not just to get them out of Egypt, but get them planted. Planting of the Lord. And that's us. We are planting of the Lord. You are rooted and grounded in Christ. And we've been brought together just as the Garden of Eden... was a testimony of God's grace and goodness. It was a sanctuary because that's where God met with man, in the garden. And it was to change the world because the river that rose in the garden flowed out of the garden and broke into four headwaters. The number four in Scripture, there are all sorts of numbers in Scripture. Some of them mean something and some of them don't mean anything but lots of numbers. But four is a very important word in Scripture because it's almost always used to describe the world. That's why we speak about the four corners of the earth, although all of us know there's not a corner anywhere. But it demonstrates the wholeness of the world. And so, four rivers running out of Eden were the four rivers taking the life of the garden to the four corners of the earth. So that the whole world would become the garden of the Lord. And we see again and again through scriptures that God's life always flows like a river. It's a wonderful picture. The rivers that flowed out of Eden, the river that flowed from the rock in the wilderness, which was, by the way, Christ. The river that Ezekiel saw flowing from the temple. The river that Jesus said would flow out of those who came to him and drink. The river of life that's flowing from the the throne of God down the city high street of the new Jerusalem. All these speak about the outflow of God's love and purpose. And it teaches me this. God has brought us together as trees of righteousness, oaks of righteousness, strong. See, every one of you is strong. need to know that. You may by nature feel weak. But I'm not talking about what you are by nature. I'm talking about what you are in Christ. You are strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, that's a command that comes from Scripture. And God will never command you to do something it's impossible for you to do. So when he says be strong, he means be strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. And that's not just hype. And mind over matter, you're confessing what God says about you. Be unbending in times of trial. Be unyielding in times of drought. Be fruitful in all the seasons of your life. You are strong, a planted tree in the garden of God. But it doesn't end there. You see, there's a river that flows out. That's why it goes on to say, they, who, these trees of righteousness, what are they going to do? They're going to restore the ruined cities. They're going to restore the desolate places. Now, first of all, of course, we are surrounded by desolate cities. Oh, I don't mean, you know, they've all fallen down and collapsed or been the result of some awful Uh, earthquake, the ruined cities around us are ruined because they have no hope, ruined because they have no help, ruined because they can see no way into a better future, ruined because they're poor, ruined because they're trapped in Satan's devices, ruined because they have no hope for tomorrow. That's why the life that we have must flow out and touch others. That the life that we have must bring hope where there is no hope, light where there is only darkness, life where it's just surrounded by death. It's our our job. It's here in the Word. We get restored. The church then is restored in its relationships, in its ministries, in its gifts and anointings, and then it touches the world. And the world gets changed. See, we don't have to look at our world in despair, in sorrow, in anxiety, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who live in it. And we're here to take the good news of the kingdom To the ends of the earth, beginning in our Jerusalem, wherever that may be. That's just where you live. But ever going out, ever extending. I don't have time this morning to go into another area that is just as important and in many ways more vast. Um, But I just want to read another scripture from Isaiah If I may, in Isaiah chapter 55, some verses in here you'll know well, but it begins by saying, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. And it's a call to God's people to come back into a deep and spiritual relationship with him, to drink of the water of life, to come unto Jesus and drink. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain this is where Jesus got that word from when he stood up on the last day of the feast and said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. This is, it's all here And and in those first opening verses, um, it tells us, uh, come, come, come. It's a call back into that deep spiritual link with the Lord, that deep, spiritual life flow between us and God come 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 and he's telling them to come and submit themselves to King David he's telling them to come and have their minds renewed by the spirit he's telling them to come and listen and respond and hide in their hearts the word of God all this come 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 and then in verse 12 it says you will go out so it's great to come to the Lord it's, come to, it's great to come and drink. It's great to be trees of righteousness, oaks of righteousness that drink in the waters of heaven. But then he says, You will go out. See? It's great that we've come together, isn't it? Can you remember the day when you responded to the gospel, found your place in the family of God? Oh, how fantastic that was! You came. You came. I miss singing hymns, you know. We don't sing hymns hardly enough. Uh, But, you know, I've been on a campaign for 50 years and no one's taken any notice yet. (laughs) Proves how influential I am, doesn't it? (laughs) We used to sing a hymn that had a chorus, I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. I came to Jesus. But then Jesus says, you shall go. You shall go. And he puts it like this here in Isaiah. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now is an instead of word coming, okay? Instead of the thorn bush will grow the plain tree. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Hey, this takes us off into a whole new dimension. It's not just the church that's going to be restored, it's just not just society and those in darkness and debt and desperation who will be restored, the earth itself, the fabric of our planet, is going to be renewed and restored. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Instead of the thorn bush, instead of the briar, the two very things that came into the world because of man's sin will be replaced. By the pine and the myrtle. The useful and the fragrant. is going to fill our earth. The Bible tells us that creation itself is groaning in travail. Waiting to come into the liberty of the sons of God. And our ministry, our obedience to Christ is part of the process that will cause that to happen. How do I know the thorns will be removed? How do I know human sin can be removed? Well, I just need to look to the cross. And the, Paul to the Colossians said that in his through his blood, God was reconciling all things to himself. Things in heaven and things on earth. Not just people things and if I picture him on the cross I can see his blood flowing for without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sin he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world but I see also on his head a crown of thorns Dramatically demonstrating that not only was he taking your sin and mine, he was carrying the curse of the earth upon himself. That in the ultimate manifestation of God's kingdom, it will be full of redeemed people, full of restored nations, and manifesting a faultless, and a renewed creation. We are the firstborn of His creation. That is, He begins with us, but the end is not yet. Brothers and sisters, we've been caught up into a most glorious revol- revolution. We've been caught up in a most exciting adventure. When I got saved, I never dreamed it would be like this. When I got saved and stuttered my way through the scriptures, I never knew what was in this marvelous book. But it's all there. Read it in faith. Read it in expectation. Read it and put it into action. And we will see remarkable change. For the Jesus who revolutionized your life is the Jesus who will revolutionize your neighbor. And the Jesus who transformed your life is the Jesus who will transform your area of of life and activity. And the Jesus who's restored so much is yet to restore the whole world and fill it with his glory. Hasten the day, Lord, we cry, and make us useful in your service for the glory of your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10:30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harbour. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.